Hi, I'm Branson Stowell. And I'm Matt Sparks. And welcome to the Film Exchange, where two friends and film enthusiasts discuss the films that inspire us. Today's film is Love Actually, a 2003 Christmas-themed romantic comedy written and directed by Richard Curtis. With a star-studded and mostly British cast, the film follows the lives of eight very different couples in dealing with their love lives in various loosely interrelated tales, all set during the frantic month leading up to Christmas in London. Some say it's a Christmas classic. This was Branson's pick. Branson, why did you pick Love Actually? couple things. One, we're getting in the holiday spirit here. This film in particular has had a fairly big cultural impact, which I think is interesting in itself to talk about. I love the feel-good nature of this film. I think it's hard to not enjoy. It essentially kickstarted an era of what we'd call these anthology love films with Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and all these big star-studded cast interwoven love stories. And in fact, there are many major symphonies. I know that they do it in San Francisco where they'll actually do a live symphony performance to the film because it's that much of a culture. I don't even remember the piece. score being that memorable. It's about the experience, all right? The song that I do like that I can't get out of my head since I watched it was... Uh... I feel it in my fingers. <laughs> I feel it in my toes. I like that song. I did get to see this live in oh, you at saw the it. SF Symphony at the Davies Symphony Opera House last Christmas season. Because you just see how many people flock to the feels. Richard Curtis, Oscar nominated for Four Weddings and a Funeral. Originally, he, he wanted to do a film about the Prime Minister who fell in love with his secretary, et cetera, et cetera. And then that didn't really turn out to be enough. Then he went to a film about Colin Firth's character falling in love with a woman at a retreat. And then those plots felt too similar to him. So he's like, what if we just mix it up and we throw in a bunch of different ideas and try and combine all these different love stories and... Originally, there were even more, which is wild. It's the magnolia of rom-coms. That is the best way to sum it up. It's the magnolia of rom-coms. From what I understand, and from what the independent publication in the UK, Britain and British people love Christmas. They dig it, and I've like tried to understand like why that's amplified. I feel like it's totally arbitrary that it's Christmas, really. You could just sub in anything with Christmas. It's just for the vibes. At Christmas. Yeah, you tell the truth. It's just like, <laughs> I guess I guess an excuse to just harass the women in your life. Oh, my gosh. To stalk them. Okay, hot take. No, I mean, I feel like it's hard to find a healthy relationship in the movie. Like, I feel like they're all pretty toxic. The prime minister fires his secretary because he is interested in her. Colin Firth is obsessed with somebody he can't even speak to. <laughs> you know, I've heard this refrain before I've heard. These relationships are so unrealistic. Yeah, welcome to the movies. All right. No, that's but the way I, it there's, is. There's films made in 1930 that have better female characters. Well, how about Laura Linney's character? How about Emma Thompson's character? Tragic. Yeah, Emma Thompson's punished for being in a committed relationship but she's not made to look like the bad guy no but i mean of all the relationships that relationship is one of the only ones that they're in a committed loving relationship and like they don't work through their problem it's like i feel like the movie makes it seem it's healthier to go after the woman that you can't even speak to <laughs> you know than it is to work through a problem with somebody you're in a committed relationship with 
I don't think it glorifies that in any means, in any way. Like, that guy was hated. Poor Alan Rickman, obviously. That female character is just totally... The secretary. Yeah, the one that uh, he has an affair. Mia. It's ambiguous whether they had an affair. He gets her necklace. But that character, I feel like, was just so one-dimensional. Like, it was literally just there to tempt the good-hearted man, the evil woman. There was just no nuance there at all. The foil of that was Andrew Lincoln's character in sort of the Kira Knightley love triangle that they had. Yes. Also um, very disturbing. You know. <laughs> I feel like with this movie, you can that like incredibly disturbing. Like he's a stalker. How do you as her character turn around and not be just completely disturbed or frankly, as the husband, I think much of this movie, if you just replace the score with the horror soundtrack, it could be a horror movie very easily, particularly the scene when she's watching the wedding tape that he shot. And it's just shots of her. Like that could very easily (laughs) just be like horror. And she's turning around. They're all of me. It's pretty unfair what they do to them, like showing up in public and with Colin Firth, like putting her in this situation in front of all her friends and family, <laughs> her coworkers, forcing her to make this decision. But it's this kind of the same with Hugh Grant. He's putting the using their power to put women in these like not nice situations. So there's one scene in this film that only one scene in this film that passes the Bechdel test. Can you guess which scene it is? <laughs> that where two women talk to each other about something other than the man? Yeah. You know how many movies don't pass the Bechdel test to the day and age? Well, you're avoiding the questions. <laughs> well, there's very few scenes where it's not just a man and a woman. The only one is when Emma Thompson is talking to her daughter and asks what character she is in the nativity scene. Can we even count that? That's not even a full scene. That's like five lines. Look, it's a problematic film, but you have to come into this movie accepting that it's about love. But is it really about love? I think it's not about love. It's about like infatuation and crushes. It's about wish fulfillment. It's infatuation, actually. Infatuation, actually. <laughs> no, because I think the only relationships I feel like where there's loving, the people are punished for it. Like Alan Rickman, Emma Thompson, or Keira Knightley, she would tell Edgy for there's always a problem. The only like good relationships are the ones where they never really even got to know each other. And it's these boss employee relationships that are very problematic. I guess it's supposed to be a joke, but it's still pretty fucked up as the whole Wisconsin bit. No. And that to me, <laughs> and he's is... totally reward. He's rewarded for objectifying women, like treating them like objects. That's one that still blows my mind because that's one that you think, and we're conditioned to believe is going to turn into an Eli Roth hostile situation where he ends up murdered and in pieces. And, and that's where I honestly, that's where this movie becomes a fantasy. Like that's where the wish fulfillment comes in is when that comes true, you just have to throw everything else out the window in some sense and realize that everything is either going to be in British terms, you know, dramatically tragic or outrageously and unnecessarily positive. And the crazy part is, yeah, there's all these relationships where you're like, why is this appropriate? Why Colin Firth showing up to this woman's work? I know. Would you want that? (laughs) Somebody show up at your work who doesn't speak your language, professing their love for you in front of all your coworkers and family. Well, one, I have to correct. He learned the language or attempted to. And that's part of the comedic. First of all, why is he writing his only copy of his manuscript (laughs) on a windy day next to a lake? 
Well, no, when she's taking off her clothes before she goes in the lake. That's the selling point. That's how he falls in love because he sees her boobies. There's no nudity I want to clarify in that scene, just this for listeners. I mean, so in my defense of this film, it's an offender by today's standards for sure. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be seen through the lens of 2003. I mean, we had Ghosts of Girlfriends Past come out in 2005 or 2006, you know, but all are beloved and all end up on ease movies. We love rom-com marathon. And I will say I'm happy this film helped catapult Bill Nye's career. I loved his character and also probably the other realistic loving relationship is him and his manager i think that's a positive depiction of male friendship i like his whole storyline with the the song my favorite scene of course is the scene with bill nye and his manager at the end i think that's such a charming piece and like you said probably the most wholesome of all the relationships his character is so great and i love bill nye i mean he won the bafta for love actually um and then after love actually he said he didn't have to audition anymore <laughs> which was a new thing they were trying to find a good character for the laura linney and a good actress for laura linney's character he's like i want someone who's like a laura linney type <laughs> finally his wife was like why don't you just get laura linney to do it and he goes oh whatever we'll just Ask Laura Linney, you know, and just explain away the, you know, Americanness. So, oh, so it was going to be a British, they wanted a British person. If he's going to treat you like that and say, don't answer the phone and like, he's like pouty about this responsibility she has and he's not worth it but they make it seem like a tragedy that they didn't get together like to me if he's gonna act like that that's a huge red flag like i actually am sort of on your side about this but laura linney has always said she wishes her character didn't have to pick up that second call of course i would have rather kept fucking that guy too <laughs> you know i think at the same time it's like how much sacrifice is too much. I mean, of course, his character wasn't necessarily being super respectful of her, but it was clear that she had spent two years pining after this guy. And I know, and her boss is like forces her to do something about it, puts her <laughs> on the spot. It's so messed up. I almost wish I could have watched this with you because I would love to see <laughs> your just live hatred. Because like, you've never seen it, right? No, I've never seen it. I mean, so of all the over-the-top gestures, I think most the only not fucked up over-the-top gesture where you're putting somebody on the spot was the, the band at the wedding. But I feel like wouldn't they have been concerned if they go into this church and there are all these strangers at their wedding? I feel like they would have <laughs> noticed thinking... at that point. It's kind of hard to hide a trombone. No, I was just thinking, like, how do you sit on the altar and look into that crowd and not recognize half the people there and all the mean fat jokes oh, yeah the fat shaming no but the the worst is the portuguese lady's sister that's very 2000s though it's 2000s exactly this is like the humor of the time i mean three years before norbit Three, yes, Norbit. Oh my gosh, let's begin. <laughs> Again, not that you need more fodder, but they had a lesbian storyline that they got, and then they had a storyline about African migrants that also got cut. Oh, of course. So, <laughs> but it went on to be, you know, the best selling DVD in the UK that year. There have been three essentially attempts at foreign remakes, one in Poland, one in India, and one in Slovakia. <laughs> you just want to capture the Christmas magic. Right, thanks for listening to our episode on Love Actually. We hope you'll follow us on our Instagram at Film Exchange Pod, all one word. Please let us know if there's a film or something you'd like us to talk about, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>